Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. In our series of Partnering with Spirit, Partnering with God, today we're focusing on partnering with Spirit and God for greater abundance, for greater abundance. Many, many years ago, when it was far more common for merchandise to be shipped across seas via sailing ships. It was not uncommon when ships would sail across the Atlantic toward South America, particularly in the area of Brazil, that many times, just as I got somewhat close within maybe 50, 75 miles or so of the coast of Brazil, that oftentimes the the prevailing winds would stop and these sailing vessels would get stuck in the water, becalmed in the water. And this would be after many, many days of journeying with supplies rather, rather scarce. And it was not at all uncommon for these ships to kind of be stuck there and the sailors to be desperate, um, food shortage and water shortage. And occasionally there would be another sailing ship leaving from Brazil that would see these ships stuck in the water. And the ones that had been stuck would cry out for, for help, for water. And the local seamen would say, well, take your buckets and dip the bucket right in the water. You are at the mouth of the mighty Amazon, which is flooding the ocean at this point for hundreds of miles with fresh water. And you don't know it, but you are adrift in fresh water. All you have need of is right where you are but they didn't know that. And I think about that example and, uh, and another. If you've never read the story of Acres of Diamonds by Russell Conwell, go home after service today and look it up and read it. It's an amazing story, very similar in, in um, teachable moment to the story I just gave you. But the idea is that we can feel adrift and lost and like we don't have what we need and yet we forget we are sitting in the field of possibility at all times. We are sitting in the field of possibility at all times. I remember a teaching in the Old Testament, Moses, take off your shoes. Where you stand is holy ground. Where you stand is sacred ground. And there's a mystical teaching in that. The mystical metaphysical teaching in that is that right where we are, when we can connect fully and completely with where we are, we will remember that we are standing in the field of infinite possibility. It's so easy when we think of, of abundance and prosperity, the first thing that usually comes to people's mind is money and stuff. Well, God doesn't throw money at our feet. We can pray all we want, and it's not going to work that way. You're not going to have God suddenly go bucketfuls of money right at your feet. But the way the principle works, the way the principle works is in the realm of divine ideas. Divine ideas, say that with me. Divine ideas. 
God's currency, spirit's currency, the universe's currency is a currency of divine ideas. There is no shortage of divine ideas. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to have a particular education. You don't have to be in a particular place. There is no place where the field of possibility does not exist. There is no place where the field of potential, the field of divine ideas, does not exist right where you are, right where I am, are unlimited ideas. But we need to keep our minds open, our hearts open, our eyes open, our ears open to receive those ideas, to attract those ideas. And sometimes we have to grow into them. We may get the idea let me try this, let me make this change, let me go in that direction, only to feel, but I'm a little afraid to do that. But the answer to greater abundance in our lives lies within the field of possibility, lies within each of us believing in and then capturing those divine ideas and following them, pursuing them, seeing where they go, seeing where they take us and what they open us up to. I want to read part of a, a story from one of our members. His name is Rich Poser, longtime member of the Unity Center, here with us today, served on our board of directors for a number of years. And Rich, I remember this story. I remember when you first told this to me years ago, and then I asked you to tell me again. Rich writes, I had already been tithing to the Unity Center. And don't worry, this is not a, don't tune me out. I'm not going to harm a hammer on you for tithing. I practice it. I believe in it. This is a teaching about generosity, okay, and about divine ideas. I had already been tithing to the Unity Center for several years when my employer, when I left my employer to begin consulting in a leap of faith. So there was a divine idea there. And then there was a leap of faith, right? A lot of times, so divine ideas require us to do something. We go, oh my God, is that really what you want me to do? A leap of faith relying on spirit that there was something better for me out there. Our leaps of faith, God doesn't give us or suggest a divine idea and a leap of faith for something less than what we already have. It's always for something grander, something better, something more possible. My job, although very well paid, was not what I wanted or needed spiritually nor personally. With wonderful spiritual support and much prayer in the church men's group, I quit cold on a Saturday morning. Good paying job, he quit cold. With no clients or prospects for my future, it was uncertain. But less than 48 hours after I resigned, the phone rang, and it was the first client who hired me for what became three years of work. The call was unsolicited, and I truly believe God guided them to me at that time. As that engagement ended, I received another call from a different client that led to another long-term account. Although I did no marketing or promotion, clients mystically appeared as one engagement was ending so that in, get this, in over 20 years, I worked continuously. This was remarkable in a consulting practice. I believe that coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. I agree with you, Rich. I think so, too. He goes on to, to write to me, I started by tithing each month based on what I had earned, which was variable depending on the number of billable hours I worked. 
In my business, it is customary to pay an agent around 10% to find jobs. I felt that God was my agent, so tithing to the Unity Center where I was spiritually nurtured was a fair practice. But after, this is another divine idea, but after only a few years, I changed my model to tithe what I envisioned I would earn the following month. Would you say that's not a demonstration of faith? That's a demonstration of faith. And Janet, that's a demonstration of loyalty as a partner and a spouse. But after only a few, few years, I changed my model to tithe what I visioned I would earn the following month, essentially tithing in advance. And I was always able to meet or exceed that vision until I retired this year. There is more than enough. And the enough I'm talking about is divine ideas. And sometimes we have to grow into them. Rich had to grow into the idea of, of leaving steady employment to take that leap of faith and then continue to take those leap of faiths. Each of us will be given or receive different divine ideas. We'll be told to do different things based on who we are, our passion, our experience, our, our desires, our unique soul, who and what we are. But it is ours to be paying attention to those. Last week when I talked to you about partnering with God for guidance, and I talked to you about if you had at your disposal the most brilliant consultant, what would you have to pay that consultant? Do you remember what I said? The answer was attention. We have to pay attention to these divine ideas as well. And it does mean that we have to go against the culture a little bit, at least the race consciousness. That's a term Charles Filmer, the co-founder of Unity, coined to determine mass consciousness, the general myths that, that humanity are living under. And he said that one of the things we have to do is we have to get beyond race consciousness. And one of the myths that we have to get beyond is this belief that there's just not enough. That if I get mine, you can't get yours. That it's a zero-sum game, but it's not. Because we're talking about the realm of possibility. We're talking about the realm of divine ideas. You have as much access to that as anybody else. I have as much access to that as anybody else. There's a great basic unity book and workbook called The Quest and Adventures on the Quest. I think you can still get it from Unity Publishing and from Amazon. It's written by Richard and Mary Alice Jafola, and it takes all of Unity's very basic concepts and presents them in very teachable, very bite-sized ways. And even if you've been in this teaching for a long time, it's worth it to go back and to remind yourself of these things and to strengthen the neurological pathways along these beliefs that you want to be living in and living from. In the quest, the Jephalos write this, the human race has had it all wrong. We have to re-educate ourselves so that we firmly realize that God's source of good is unlimited. God, by nature, is a creative process, always capable of and desirous of bringing new and more good into our lives. The key to prosperity is the realization that prosperity doesn't come by getting more. Prosperity doesn't come by getting more. The law of prosperity is actually 180 degrees from what most of us have been taught. 
We prosper not by concentrating on what we are getting, but by emphasizing on what we are giving. There is simply no way to circumvent this law, and it may take a quantum shift in your thinking to bring yourself around to this truth. We become prosperous not by focusing on what we're getting or what we get from life, but from what we are giving, which means a generosity of spirit. Does a generosity of spirit include our money? Yes. Is it the only thing it includes? Absolutely not. A generosity of spirit comes from the inside. A generosity of spirit says, I have something of value. It may be an idea. It may be a word of encouragement. It may be a lending hand. It may be something I have in my garage or in my closet or in my wallet. But I have something that I can circulate. I have something that I can contribute. I have something that somehow can make life better for someone or something. When we really grasp this truth, we begin to change the very vibration that we live from and that we're putting out into the universe. We truly become magnetized. Our good wants to come to us. We find ourselves being in the right place at the right time for an opportunity. We find ourselves suddenly having courage that we didn't know that we had. Or we suddenly find that we have a cheerleader that comes into our life and says to us at just the right moment, I believe in you. You can do this. I'll stand by your side to the best of my ability. But it comes not because we're holding back out of fear, it comes because we have chosen to practice living from a generous heart, a generous spirit. The second belief that we need to correct, that we need to just get, get rid of, is this idea that somehow it is spiritual to be poor. It is no more spiritual to be poor than it is spiritual to be rich. Spirituality has nothing to do with that. Spirituality does not have to do with our bank account. It does not have to do with manifestation. It does not have to do with lack of stuff or austerity. Our spirituality has to do with consciousness, and it has to do with the generosity of our heart, our kindness, our compassion, our willingness to, to not live our lives just for ourselves and our own convenience and our own families or people that are like us, but to do that and to continue to have a generous spirit, a generous consciousness that wants to include as many of the other, until we no longer see the other as the other, as possible. Jesus never preached poverty. He never preached poverty. He preached, I believe, generosity of the heart. He said, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He was using an example of measuring flour and grain and wheat. If you do any sort of baking, you know that part of what you do is you sift the flour, and you make sure that the flour settles so that the, you're weighing or measuring the right amount of flour. He was saying, you, you give out of generosity. He complimented the widow who gave her two mites, two tiny coins. Why? 
Was there great value in just those two tiny coins? Not from a monetary standpoint, there was not. But he was pointing to her as an example, contrasting her giving to the Pharisees, who just gave by the letter of the law, thinking that somehow was going to win them favor. He spoke highly of the widow because she gave from a generous heart. She could have given the same amount stingily, and I don't think he would have praised her. It's the intention from which we live. It's the intention from which we give, whether it's a gift we give here or time we give in an organization we serve or the way we pay attention to our loved ones. It's the consciousness behind it. Yes, he lived a lifestyle of very few possessions, but you may, may remember that they cast lots at the end of his life for the value of his robe. And so we can't look at the outside and judge by numbers and amounts. Abundance is much more, I was going to say subtle, but much more complex and much fuller than anything that can be put on a ledger sheet. If I look across my professional life, my personal life, there have been many times, not many times recently, but in the beginning, I had very, very, very little. Some of you know that I started the Unity Center in 1983 after three years of serving as assistant ministers in a couple of different churches, very painful experiences, figuring I couldn't do any worse than I was already doing. Little did I know what it was really like to start a church, but I'm glad I didn't know everything to begin with. But no money, no money. I can remember for the first at least year eating hot dogs and baked beans every single night for dinner because it was cheap. I happen to still like Hebrew National Franks. I don't know why. Maybe it's nostalgia. I still do. And I can eat at the other end of the spectrum very fine food, and I love that, that too. But, you know, even eating the hot dogs and the baked beans and living in a very tiny little place and, and being the person that counted the checks with my mother at the end of the offering, it didn't take us very long, not when there were only a handful of people. I still felt prosperous. I still felt somehow young and open, and I still feel young. Don't look in the mirror, it doesn't look quite the same, but I still feel it from the inside knowing that there is never a shortage of ideas. All I have to do is make room for them and have the courage to pursue them and the faith and the confidence to do so. So it really isn't a matter of the stuff that we have. My life doesn't look like that now. We are prosperous, but not because of the stuff we have. It's been built out of a foundation of practicing these principles. We still contribute. We still tithe. I wish I didn't use my credit card as much. I mean, I'm never, never, ever in debt. But what I mean by that is I used to love to write individual checks, especially in the days when things were tight numerically, and I would always write on my checks. It's a pleasure to pay to the order of. And sometimes I had to really, really, really concentrate writing that on the check, especially if it was a check to the IRS. 
In fact, we owed some money last year, I think the last couple of years we, we have as we've done some rollovers and I've written on my IRS checks specifically, it's my pleasure to pay to the IRS and I really do mean that. I sincerely mean that and I wonder what is the person opening that envelope? Because eventually I think a person has to process at least part of it. What do they think? Maybe I've just planted a tiny little seed in their mind of a different way of looking about bills. I mean, if we have a bill, it's because we've received something, right? We've received something. A generous spirit is a way of approaching everything in our lives. It's amazing how we can look at this one area of teaching, the area around abundance, the area around prosperity, and get so uncomfortable with it and think that it's, you know, somebody's trying to get me to do something. No way. No way. But just as I know that the principles of loving kindness, the principles of forgiveness, the principles of spiritual, of meditation, the principles of mind action work, I know the principles of prosperity, the principles of generosity, when practiced from a generous heart, absolutely open doors to abundance. I want to share with you as I close six specific things to do, where to start. If you're using the app, our Unity Center app, you can actually take notes right in the app right next to the lesson. The first place to start, number one of six, is notice what you've got. Notice what you already have. I think it was Rockefeller who said, it isn't what you do if a million should be your lot. What are you going to do with a dollar and a quarter you've got? It isn't what you're going to do. If a million should be your lot, what are you going to do with a dollar and a quarter you've got? You can tell how old that is to use a reference of a dollar and a quarter, right? But the truth is still there. doesn't matter what the numbers are. The truth is still there. Notice what you have. Notice what you have. You have more, even at your lowest point, where your bank account or whatever seems the lowest, you have more than what you are realizing. It's so much easier to pay attention to what we don't have. We need to pay attention to what we do have. So notice what you've got. Make that a practice. The second is this. Practice gratitude for whatever that is. Whatever that is. If you've got a ton of bills to pay and you're just paying a little bit on your card each month or working with a bankruptcy process, whatever it is, be grateful for the effort and the progress you are making. Start writing on your checks. Start writing, putting a note in your bills. It's my pleasure to. Will you feel it? Maybe not in the beginning, but eventually you can get yourself to feeling that way. Eventually you can get yourself there. So practice gratitude for whatever good you have. Jesus practiced gratitude in advance. The multiplication of the loaves and fishes is a beautiful story of the power of practicing gratitude in advance, not just for what we have received, but for what we want to receive. Rich's example of eventually jumping into the divine idea of tithing based on what he wanted to be earning rather than what he had just earned. Third, use whatever you do have mindfully. Mindfully. Make whatever you are consuming a mindful meditation practice. 
Make turning your lights on and off. Make running the water. Make what you buy in the grocery store. Make what you eat. Whatever it is you consume. A mindful practice. Use it wisely. Use it wisely. The fourth, I've been saying this one to you a few times already. When you pay a bill or you give a tithe or you give a gift here, you give a gift to a charity, only do it with a generous heart. Only do it with a generous heart. Whatever it is, especially if you're giving, for example, a a gift somewhere, a donation somewhere, a lot of times I think we wish we could do more than, than, than we're able to. And so out of embarrassment, we scrunch it and we fold it or we make it really tight and tiny. Don't do that. Whatever it is, if you're going to give something here or anywhere else, be proud. Give it with a generous spirit. That's what makes it work. It's not the thing. It's your consciousness that you grow into. The fifth, practice welcoming good into your life rather than struggling for it. Welcoming rather than struggling or striving. Have you ever been welcomed, truly welcomed into someone's home? I'm sure you have. Have you ever been the host truly welcoming someone into your home? I bet you have done that too. There's a quality, a qualitative difference, isn't there, when you're actually welcoming. To me, welcome means I'm greeting whatever it is with open hands, with an open heart, with an open mind. I'm saying, come in. That's the way we want to approach the flow of good into our lives, not from a place of desperation, but from a place of welcoming. It may take some meditation to be able to make that transition, but we can make it. You can make it. And the last is this. Make generosity of heart your practice. Make generosity of heart your practice. Whatever it is you are giving, your time, your resources, your ideas, your heart, whatever it is, do it with a generous heart. Generosity is a path to abundance more than anything else. Generosity is a path to abundance. Namaste.